Good morning, everyone. It is great to be back with you. Um, if you're new or visiting, welcome. My name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have just come back from four relaxing weeks of leave after our newborn baby arrived sometime in April. Um, but it's great to be back. Now, things are on the up, and uh, our family is settling very well. And I just want to say a very, very big thank you to you as a church, um, all the way through from Tony, who's preached more, who was gracious enough to give me another week of leave uh, when things weren't quite going back to normal by the end of the third week, um, and to the elders that allowed me that as well. I'm sure um, there was a lot more wisdom in the room when they met in my absence. And, um, and to all of you guys, you know, lots of people have come up and said that how you guys have been praying for us, and it felt like Christmas has come early just with all the gifts that people have given us, all the food that's arriving at our door. We really, really feel blessed. And, and last Sunday when we were back and Tony was talking about, from Philippians, about Christ-like love and Christ-orientated truths, I just thought, man, I've seen both those things come from you guys and, and, and we're really thankful. So thank you very, very much. And I've got the privilege today to open up Philippians for us and we're going to continue in this series, as Tony was saying, to live is Christ and we're going through the book of Philippians in very small little sections so, um, yeah, join us. Open up your Bible um, at Philippians chapter 1, and we're looking from verse 12 today. Philippians 1 from verse 12. Philippians 1 from verse 12, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll just be here on the screen for you, so please uh, follow along. And I'm reading... From the ESV, only, we're only going to verse 18, at, um, a kind of section finishes at verse 26, but that next section is, is the crux of it that, that we took our title from for the series, and Tony will look at that next week. So this week, Philippians chapter 1 from verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, um, we hope that you receive that last song as a prayer, a prayer to speak to us right now through your word and through me, your servant. Would you please do that, that your church might be built and the earth might be filled with your glory. Please, Lord, we pray this for uh, our good and, as we said, for your glory and for the ongoing work that you are doing, not just in your church, but in the community and in the world outside of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Premier Mark McGowan has just announced another seven-day lockdown. This is not real, by the way, so um, don't rush out and go get toilet paper. Um, So he's just announced a seven-day lockdown, and um, you have to write to one of your best mates or one of your closest family members who's out of state or maybe overseas, okay? Uh, And your email or your text or even letter, if you want to do it that way, uh, has to begin like this. I want you to know, insert name, that dot, dot, dot. Uh, How would you continue that? Knowing, here's the trick, you've only got 300 words. What would you put in there? I want you, maybe here's some ideas. I want you to know my work project has just halted. Man, I've been working on it for so long and it's just stopped like that. I want you to know I'm stuck with the kids all week and I have to try and teach them something or do this online uh, education thing. I hate the doomsday preppers, you know, like these, the the doomsday buyers who's filling up their trolleys right now with toilet paper. Or or I'm all for these lockdowns because, you know, I just don't want to get COVID and maybe die. Or, Or you might say more of these lockdowns, you know, and my career will soon be ruined, unlike I planned. I'd love to know what your 300 words would include. And my gut feel is, as I thought about this for myself, is what's most pressed to you would be mentioned in there and how the lockdown has affected it, whether positively, maybe um, advancing some of your interests or negatively, um, how it's put you back from where you'd like to be. In a little note like this, I'm sure you'd quickly be able to see, you know, what someone values, whether it's comfort or career, cash, children, control, just some peace, relationships, fame, holidays, oh, my holidays got put on hold, home renovations, and on and on and on you can go. You'd also quickly see how the things that we want to move forward in can be halted in an instant or even be taken back from where we'd like it to be. Now, what we've got in front of us in verses 12 to 26 of Philippians 1 is Paul's 300-word personal letter from lockdown. This section is, is completely unique to the New Testament, and and Paul nowhere else in any of his letters shares so personally about his own situation and his thoughts on the matter. And the shocking thing that you probably have noticed already as we've read this is how little Paul actually talks about himself directly. You know, all he can think about is what, what has happened to him and how that's affected the progress of the gospel. Uh, The progress of the gospel is at the heart of this section as we see Paul talk about it. Did you notice in verse 12, he talks about the advance of the gospel where he is in verse 12, as well as in the Philippians uh, in verse 25, which we'll look at next week. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, what I'm hoping you'll see today, will always advance contrary to the other things we might value. And I hope you see that this morning and you're convicted, like I have been this week, um, that you don't always think about how your changing life situations 
affect the progress of the gospel in you and in others. And, and my hope and prayer is also that you're convinced again to make the progress of the gospel primary. That you'd view everything in life through that lens and that you would have great joy as a result of it. So this morning I've, I've just titled the sermon Gospel Progress. And I want to show you that the gospel progresses in all circumstances, in all hearts, and even when people intentionally mean you harm. Okay, those three things. We're going to start with the first one. Gospel progress in all circumstances. Now, we often say, now is the right time. You'll probably hear this from real estate agents quite a bit. Now is the right time to sell your house or to buy a a new place or to, you know, farmers, get your crops in the ground. The, The rain, temperature, everything's perfect. Or, you know, now's the right time to buy those shares. Much of life, in fact, depends on one's circumstances. Even the book of Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season. And for every matter under heaven, there is a time. We see that in Ecclesiastes 3.1. So in what season do we try and advance the gospel? When are our circumstances perfect for gospel progress? Well, the answer is all the time. In all circumstances. Have a look there at verse 12 with me. Please keep your Bibles open. Verse 12, Paul says... I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So, so Paul is in Rome and he's held in chains. Okay? He's, he's in prison and he can't go anywhere. And not only that, he's being held by the imperial guard, as we see there in verse 13. Now these guys were Caesar's very own bodyguards, if you like. And they were very powerful and influential military people who could sway like much of uh, Roman communities. They were very influential. And Paul would have been held in their headquarters, which would have also been attached to Caesar's very own palace. And these guys would have been super loyal supporters of Caesar. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten to the upper echelons of the military, Right. They, they would have chanted, Caesar is Lord, like all good Romans uh, who believed that Caesar was divine. And so looking at Paul's circumstances, everything suggests now's not the time, Paul, to shout, Christ is Lord. When you're right there, surrounded by all these people at the heart of this Roman religion, if you like. There's no way the gospel would advance in Paul's current circumstances It's pretty much impossible. And yet, Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Hey, hey, maybe you Philippians thought that the circumstances weren't right for gospel advancing. But you know what? I've got news for you, Paul says. Actually, against all odds, the good news of Jesus has spread. (laughs) It's remarkable. You see, friends, the time is always right for gospel progress. Whether it's during a global pandemic or during a global financial crisis, during unemployment times or boom times, whether you're in a hospital bed or the CEO's chair, 
whether you're in the newborn stage or old age, whether you're driving around Australia for your retirement or driving to your first day at work. You know, when you're in your uni exams or, or maybe you're in that final term long prac um, that you'll finally be finished with your studies and it just seems hectic. Even then, when you're in lockdown or quarantine or the whole state is in lockdown, the good news of Jesus will progress in all circumstances. It's great. But why is it? Well, it's obviously not because of us, is it? It's because of the God of the gospel. You see, the sovereign God who is not shaped by circumstances, it's because of him. In all of our points, as you'll see today, I hope, the gospel advances against the odds. It it defies human logic. And it's because there's someone outside of our human world uh, that's busy working to spread this sin-breaking or sin-bearing, shackle-breaking, life-giving, life-transforming good news of His Son. The reason why the gospel will always progress is because it's the good news of God's beloved Son that's busy reconciling all people who believe to himself. God will make sure that people hear and people know and people believe that he has served them in Jesus. On the cross back then and under the crown even right now. Jesus served us by dying on the cross in our place and he's serving us now as we saw a few weeks back that he's continuing the work that he started in us. So this God who loves to serve us is busy serving others through his gospel too. And that's why the gospel will continue to progress. You know, God wants the gospel to advance more than you and I. He's working harder at making the gospel advance than all of us put together. It will continue to go forward in all circumstances. And because God lives outside of space and time, our circumstances won't affect Him like it does with us. You know, when our circumstances crush us or maybe they, it scares us or overwhelm us, He's busy advancing His gospel through our weak and timid efforts. Isn't that great, church? Isn't that great? No, no matter in what circumstance you find yourself, you can have a certain boldness in sharing the good news of Jesus because of the God of the gospel. Um, he is always at work advancing the gospel in the hearts of all people, which gets me to our second point. So gospel progress in all circumstances and in all hearts, as we see in verses 13 to 14. Now, when we think of advancing the gospel, we often and maybe only think about evangelism, right? So that is uh, sharing the saving work of Jesus and the savoring worth of Jesus with people who don't believe in him yet. And you know what? That's good and it's right. But we must always remember that the gospel also continues to advance in the hearts of believers, as it goes deeper and deeper into our core and shapes us more and more and more. That's what we see in verses 
13 and 14. Look there with me. Paul says what's happened to him has really served to advance the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we've got two groups here, okay? So you've got the imperial guard and the others that might be in the prison. Maybe some of them are working in the prison or, or they're working on uh, Caesar's palace grounds, all of whom are unbelievers. And Paul shares Jesus with all of them that comes across his path, even though he's, he's facing a trial, which we'll see soon, where he might be killed for his belief. Um, so he shares Jesus with them. Now, the second group are the believers in Rome where Paul is imprisoned. And the, the gospel advances in the hearts of both these groups. Okay, I want to show you that. Firstly, let's look at the unbelieving imperial guards and the rest. Now, as I said earlier, these guards were Caesar's own bodyguards. They would have been extremely loyal. And they would know that saying Christ is Lord... Uh, could get you killed. I mean, here's this guy, Paul, sitting there, who they're looking after. He's about to face trial. And next week we'll see that as Paul shares his thoughts on the trial, one of the very possible outcomes is that he might be killed. So it's very hard to imagine any of these guards or any of the people around Caesar's palace, for that matter, showing an interest into this, you know, Jesus of Paul, the guy who's in chains. But that doesn't stop Paul from sharing the gospel with them because he knows that God can make the gospel progress in any and all hearts. Um, and, 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 what, what, and that's what we see at the end of Philippians, actually. So it's one thing to say in this verse, oh, look, Paul shared the gospel with them. But look at what it says at the end of Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, when Paul finishes off his letter. He says this, the brothers who were with me Greet you. Oh, so there's people right there with Paul who are now brothers in Christ. They say hello to the Philippians. All the saints greet you. Listen, look at this. Especially those of Caesar's household. So the people that are working on the palace grounds, maybe even some of Caesar's own family, have become Christian. Wow. That's remarkable. In the end, God made the gospel progress into the hearts of people who we probably would have thought had too hard a heart. Wow. I reckon those around us, if you think about our context, would probably be more open to hearing about Jesus than those people back then. I mean, most of the people around us don't believe in, in any God, really, or in anything for that matter. They might have some things that they hold to as you talk to them a bit more and more. Um, and so I think we should be very encouraged to talk to people. This must give us so much confidence to share Jesus with people, even if they have views that strongly oppose Christianity. God can change any heart, as hard as we might think that heart to be. And it's not just the hearts, the hard hearts that the gospel can penetrate, but hungry hearts can have the gospel sink in more and more. Did you notice that in verse 14? So in verse 14, the Christians in Rome, they aren't more bold to share the gospel without fear because of Paul's example. 
He, that plays some part of it, but they are more bold because of their confidence in the Lord, it says in the text. And this, again, doesn't make sense. Man, I was grappling with this this week. I don't know if you can answer this. Uh, how is it, right? How is it that you can get more bold to share Jesus with the people around you when your leader is sitting in jail and could be you know, killed for, the, for sharing Jesus with people. How does that make sense? Surely Paul's imprisonment should temper the Christians, the Roman Christians' desire to speak about Jesus. Surely, I mean, that's why, that's why people often persecute the church, right? Hey, let's shut these guys up. Let's persecute them. But it just doesn't make sense. Surely they should become more timid, not more bold. Surely they should be struck with fear not become fearless. (laughs) Again, this defies human logic. But somehow the gospel progressed in their own hearts and they had a newfound confidence in Jesus. And yes, they did end up telling others as well. But it's so good to know that there there might be times that, that we can't advance the gospel among not yet Christians, but God can make it advance in our own hearts. And, and actually, you get to a very dangerous place if you start thinking everyone else needs the gospel and you've got it sorted. You don't really need it anymore. Now, in the last four weeks that I've been on leave, we've, we've pretty much been cut off from the outside world for about three weeks with various sicknesses we didn't want to pass on to anyone. In some sense, we're also quite happy just to stay home, to simply you know, kind of settle in. And you know what? It was great to see God working in us. And it was only really, I've been really convicted of this this week, when I started looking at this text that I looked back over what had happened and saw it. Before that, if I've spoken to you this week, you would have heard me whinge about cleaning vomit and all sorts of stuff that had nothing to do with Jesus. And now all of a sudden I can look back at those weeks and I thought, whoa, God was at work. You know what? I prayed at 2 a.m. in the morning. I don't really do that normally. I don't know if you do that. But 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm starting like this and I'm praying. And I realized, oh yeah, God doesn't sleep. He's listening right now. Um, you know, uh, there was also times that, um, that I would sin as a tired dad against our kids, and I'm sure against Beck as well, um, where I actually had to go to them and, and confess that and say, hey guys, daddy did X, Y, and Z. And I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? You know, and so there, when, when we're not even talking to people who are not yet uh, Christian, but in our little house and in my own heart, the gospel was advancing. And I, you know what? I got to be more like Jesus, probably uh, more than ever before, as would you have, believe it? I'm sure this is how God planned it. In all of those three weeks where everyone got sick, I never got sick. So, you know, guess who got to do most of the work around the house? Me. And it was great. Well, it was hard. But, you know, it was wonderful to to be like Jesus to my family. It was a wonderful period of growth and continuing to rest in how much he has served me. Um, uh, I I did the dishwasher pretty much every night for four weeks, which I think is the first time in history, I have to admit. But you know what? I listened to a sermon every single night for a month. It's the most sermons 
I've listened to ever, I think, in a month. So that was wonderful to just sit under God and hear his gospel in different ways and, and think and pray about it. And of course, there were the tough times when you're up in the middle of the night and you think, God, do you really love me? Is this what it looks like? You know? And, and I had to look again beyond my circumstances to the cross and think again where his love for me shone the most and think again and, and have a deeper appreciation for the gospel. So, church, every circumstance is perfect for the advance of the gospel. And there's always hearts that can make, it can make progress in. Sometimes it's the hearts of others, and I think we should always keep a focus on that and pray for it and hope for it. But other times it might just be our own hearts, and we must never think that our hearts have had enough of Jesus. Okay, so progress, gospel progress in all circumstances, in all hearts, and then lastly, even when people mean you harm. And we see that in verses 15 to 18. Now, Paul has just spoken about the Christians in Rome that have much more boldness, right, to speak about Jesus without any fear. And now here in verses 15 to 18, we see that these Christians can be divided into two groups. Okay, you've got those who preach Jesus to love Paul, and you've got those who preach Jesus to hurt Paul. Look at at verse 15 with me. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Did you see the two groups? The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, we don't really know much about the situation at all. Maybe there were some home churches that Paul went and preached at or maybe even had some public spots, you know, around town in the marketplace or whatever where he would address not yet Christians. But what we do know is that some Christians uh, in Rome knew Paul very well. Uh, They must have known about his passion to see the gospel uh, go out to the ends of the earth. Maybe they'd previously heard the letter of the Romans, you know, that we've got in our Bibles, read out in their church. And they just thought, man, this guy's awesome. We love him. So they knew, they know that Paul would hate for, for the people who are out there not to be hearing any gospel proclamation. And so with good intentions to love Paul and to love these people, they went out and they had a, their best shot at preaching Jesus to these people. And they were very open and honest about their heart's desire for everyone. But then you've got the other group that don't particularly seem to like Paul. Okay, maybe they also saw themselves as teachers or leaders or preachers within the churches in Rome. But you know what? People seem to love this other guy more, Paul. They always go and want to hear his preaching. And so maybe they're there was some envy that started to build that maybe they started to get jealous and they entered into some sort of rivalry with Paul. And all of a sudden, here's Paul in prison. And what a great time to maybe steal some of his followers, you know, to gain followers for themselves uh, and to, um, yeah, to kind of take people, grow their following. I don't know if that Instagram accounts back then, probably not, but, you know, to grow their following. But they don't really seem to preach Christ out of love or or goodwill, but for their own gain. 
And, and maybe they're even hoping Paul would hear in prison that, that his followers have now become their followers and that that would somehow hurt him. Whatever it might have looked like, they mean to harm Paul through it. And what's Paul going to do about it? Is he going to badmouth them social media? Or is he going to write to everyone and tell them about these people that's got it in for him? Or maybe, you know what he could do? He could just tell all the people in the prison and those around him, uh, you know, how bad he's been treated so they can feel sorry for him and so that he can then feel better about himself. Maybe he can do that. If he can make those around him feel sorry for him, he'll feel better as they keep saying, oh, shame, Paul. Oh, poor you. Oh, are you okay? Man, that must have been tough. But no, he doesn't do any of that. Look at verse 18. What then, Paul says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul rejoices. So so the very thing they try and do to hurt him is the very thing that brings him joy. You see, God can even use people's actions to harm you, to, to further his gospel and to bring you joy. And it's worth noting, I think, that this often happens afterwards, okay? So in the moment, when people are trying to hurt you intentionally, well, it hurts. (laughs) It's painful. It's not easy. But as time goes by, we see how God has used other people's ill-willed actions for good, and we can rejoice in that. Now, the famous passage in the Bible is this. Uh, from Genesis uh, 50. Can you put that on for me, please, Matt? Uh, Genesis 50 from verse 20. Anyway, I'll read it for you. Here we go. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, so this is Joseph, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So when Joseph said this to his brothers, uh, he could see that God um, was doing what God was doing. You know, as these thousands and thousands of people flocked to Egypt to buy some of the food that he'd stored up for seven years. And his brothers were among those people. But you know what? I bet that he would have been hurt beforehand. He would have been hurt when his brothers chucked him in a well and then sold him off to slave traders. It would have been painful when he got chucked in jail in Egypt because Pharaoh's wife lied about what he did. It would not have been easy to be in a foreign country with a foreign language, with no family, and in fact your parents think you're dead, to be in jail. It wouldn't have been easy. Um, But in the end, years later, Joseph could say, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God used the harm that Joseph brothers intended him for good. The harm intended for Jesus he used for good, and that of Paul's. And would you believe it? He'll do the same for us. If our greatest desire is the progress of the gospel in all circumstances and all hearts. Now, I think I'll finish off uh, just by making a note on these preachers, right, who want to afflict Paul. Because we might think um, Paul, and therefore God, as it's in his word, 
is happy for preachers who preach Jesus to do so with really bad motives. And it really doesn't matter much about your character or what you believe. But, you know, if you can preach the gospel as it says it in the Bible, your life doesn't matter that much and what drives you. But you know what? Paul never actually, as you'll see in the passage, rejoices in their motives. He doesn't approve of that in, at all. He doesn't mention it, that he, that he approves of it. But he, re, he rejoices, as is very clear, in the preaching of the gospel. And in fact, if you read on and you read to chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So the very thing that these people are doing, selfish ambition that's driving them, kind of doing things a bit tricky, not sharing the truth, they're doing, and Paul says later on, do nothing using those motives. And in other lists in the Bible, in Galatians 5 and Romans 1, if you want to search it up, Paul actually mentions envy and rivalry in lists um, of behaviors that, that, are, that are known of, of people who, who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Paul would probably tell these preachers what he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself, that is your motives, what you believe, and on the teaching, the preaching of the gospel. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So at this stage, Paul sees these preachers as brothers in Christ, but they have to watch out that their teaching and their lives and their motives match up like we all have to. You see, gospel preaching don't save preachers. It's only gospel living as the gospel uh, and the good news of Jesus continues to shape their hearts and their minds. So yeah, pray for our preachers that we might continue to do that. So church, there you have it. So the gospel progresses in all circumstances, in all hearts, and even when people intentionally mean you harm. So if the good news of Jesus is what you love the most, if if it's what you would talk about in your 300-word personal lockdown letter, and and you want to see it advancing in your lives and and the lives of others, you will always have a reason to rejoice. Because the gospel is just always going to move forward and forward. So the question is, do you love Jesus and his gospel above all things? You know, is your joy tied to the gospel in your progress, in your own heart, and also the hearts of others? At all times, in all people, and all actions. Why don't you think about that question? And I'm going to get the communion table ready. And, and maybe God's trying to advance the gospel in your heart right now. Maybe there's some things you just need to confess to him right now and ask for forgiveness again and be reminded again of how good he is.